1: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the imprint companion a podcast obsessed with australia's boutique blu-ray label imprint films today we are going to be covering a batch for october 2022 it is an epic batch we have not even been able to touch the entire thing because right now we are flexing we are gearing up for a monumental november batch my co-host, as always, is the wonderful, beautiful, and may I say, delightfully thick-bearded Alexi
2: Toliopoulos. How are you, sir? Well, Blake Howard, my beard is but a child <laughs> compared to yours. I am I, I am the next generation trying to grow this full hair out after what you have done for us, the doors you have opened, Blake, with your gorgeous beard. So Blake, ma- I'm well, thank you, mate. I'm excited to get into this batch.
1: Yeah, look, uh, we uh, apologies, folks. We usually like to be ahead of the curve. We have Mm -hmm. um, only just got our hands on this October batch, and we've been diving heavily into it. The November batch coming up will obviously um, cover in depth, probably with multiple episodes and maybe Mm -hmm. a special bonus episode along there. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, this is a really wild and wonderful and eclectic batch. It's one of those batches that the thematic connection is really forgotten very contentious and or mm. very um uh you know critically acclaimed they had a bit of a splash and they've sort of in this glut that we get of culture all pouring out of us at every streaming service with no context uh it's a an incredibly great batch to sort of go back and dive into because there's some really terrific and forgotten flicks here huge stars as well and so mm-hmm. it's i was really excited to check this whole batch out
2: Yeah, there's a couple of Oscar-winning performances in this batch, a couple of films I'd never heard of, and some wonderful, wonderful surprises in this batch. But there was at least two films I'd been meaning to catch up with for a very long time that, as I said earlier, they're the ones that feature Oscar-winning performances, and I was thrilled to finally get to see them.
1: Well, let's talk about them. In this batch, uh, there are... A huge number of discs, eight films, in fact. Today, we're going to be talking about five of those. We are going to be covering 1983's uh, uh, Testament, uh, directed by Lynn Littman, which is a huge, it was a a hugely critically acclaimed film, has an incredible cast and a lot of early performances. We've got the Vietnam adjacent save the tiger from the incredible jack lemon one of his most iconic dramatic performances we'll also be covering louis miles uh a, a provocateur uh turn with pretty baby from 1978 a famous film with susan sarandon and of course mm-hmm. the young brooke shields as a young girl in a new orleans uh prostitute house um we're also going to be talking about rose tattoo and North Dallas forty. Uh, one Ted Kochef, and uh, Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams adapt, uh, adapted play in this as well. So let's listen to a trailer, and then we're going to come back and talk about Testament. We have lost our New York signal.
3: Radar sources confirm the explosion of nuclear devices there in New York and up and down the East Coast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. This is. Hello? Mom! We really have no equipment available for accurately measuring radiation fallout.
0: She's hungry! I'm hungry! You're hungry! So I'm here! You. Your children are not dead. They
3: will return. They are just waiting until the world deserves them.
0: Hundreds of bombs are leveling cities, it's, it's throwing debris miles into the sky what day it is. Lost track.
1: God damn you! Imagine a day like any other. The children are fighting, the refrigerator is humming, highways are jammed, playgrounds are filled. Everything is perfectly normal for the very last time there are errands to run laundry to sort, piano lessons to tackle but an ordinary day like any other ends abruptly with a startling tv news bulletin followed moments later by a blinding flash lynn Littman's directed film here starring the wonderful star of all the president's men jane alexander is a kind of speculative end of the world drama from an american suburb lex tell me what you thought about testament
2: This one caught me off guard, Blake, because I just put it on. I didn't even read the back of it. I had no idea what the premise of this film was. And at first, just kind of being swept into like this kind of dreamy malaise of suburban American life uh, at this point in history, to be caught completely off guard that this was a bleak look at what happens to the everyday lives of people when they're confronted with the end of the world and it becomes not just a thought of the end of the world this is beyond it this is a film at the dawn of the apocalypse uh and you see those worlds change you see how people have to begin to adapt you see it really reflected in the lives of the children there's a young lucas haas you know great young child actor who's still working today uh, in many films like Brick all the way back to Witness. This is his first film uh, from around the same time as Witness. And you're seeing these children have to come to grips with the world around them. And it's so interesting because I wouldn't classify this as sci-fi or anything. And there's so many of those films in this kind of genre, especially from America that have that sci-fi element of post-apocalypse in there, you know, like I guess the road to an extent, or even something like the Stephen King adaptation, uh, by Frank Darabont, The Mist, and I, I, this one is such a kind of grounded, emotional version of those films that don't doesn't really have those bells and whistles on it to kind of create that atmosphere. It's all about like the emotionality of the of this situation creating the atmosphere. I thought this was just fantastic, Blake. I thought this was such a fantastic movie and so moving, so bleak, so beautiful, so felt. Fantastic lead performance as well from Jane Alexander. I absolutely adored that performance and I don't think I'd seen anything from Lynn Littman before and I really appreciated this sh- this short documentary feature on there uh I believe directed by her as well which is from the 20th anniversary of our uh, Testament which kind of like goes into the film and how important it was for like the young cast and for her as well like this might be my pick of the whole batch I'll be honest
1: it's it's really terrific I've I th- I thoroughly echo everything you said. And one of the things that on a completely different tangent and this sort of end of the world vibe, it's, it's the most sort of, it, while it has a, like a laser focus, it's not globe trotting. Mm-hmm. I felt so much kinship to some of the sequences that Soderbergh now. Um, uh, used in cont- in contagion mm. where you go into these hometowns and it's Great, destitute cool. and people are desperate and they're like grabbing things off the shelves or stealing bikes or trying to get out and, and just people disillusioned with like, what do we do? How are we going to get sick? Trying to look to faith, trying to look to each other and the things that they sort of start to hold dear and hold uh sentimentality for even faced with this overwhelming stuff. And I just think it's one of the most raw and confronting mm films about an apocalypse now like there's a great australian film which i loud at every chance that i always want to mention which is the these final hours i think it's mm, one of our movie. one of our best apocalypse films but in true australian style we have to go to the absolute confronting extremity mm. and what wilds of it and and show the big bombastic end of the world event but what i love about this is that the end of the world you know you, you're just completely cut off and our, mm. our society functions on this really tenuous balance between that and i think seeing testament now post covid post all that stuff i was just like this is a really emotionally confronting film and it really laser focuses in on the fact that you know there were still two superpowers duking it out in the world in 1983. The war had not come mm. down. Um, it was still the threat of nuclear uh, A war was present. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I just, I was so, 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 so impressed with it. And Jane Alexander has always been one of my favorites. I'd never seen her in this. And I was just mm. like, wow, she is unbelievable.
2: I would also kind of compare this to a film that I caught up with recently that I did not like um, that I would think it would be an interesting double feature because I think they're similar films on completely different sides of the political spectrum, but uh, Red Dawn from just a year after this film was released, I think there's a lot of commonalities between the setting of these two films, but from wildly different political perspectives. Um, Testament, I... Absolutely adored. Red Dawn is a stinker, but uh, they are really, they'd be really interesting to watch together. I'd only saw them about a month apart from each other, and I couldn't stop thinking about Red Dawn or watching Testament. Well, pick of the
1: batch has already
2: been shouted from Alexi. Mm-hmm. Let's
1: jump to one that uh, you caught, Alexi, by yourself. Or Listen to the trailer of Bert Lancaster's starring role in a Hal Wallace production, The Rose Tattoo
3: likes to feel silk on his skin and wants everything rose-colored. A woman should not encourage a man to be wild, never. If a man's wild, he's hard for a woman to hold. But if he's tame, would a woman want to hold him? I told you, please, my husband's sleeping. A rose, can On a chair, same as the macaronis. Honey, your mother made me understand the responsibility of... Of what? Loving a very
0: young girl. I kind do of you got. i show you!
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the Rose Tattoo is based on Tennessee Williams' play of the same name. It stars the iconic Anna Magnani as a widow whose husband Passes away in an accident. He's a truck driver. uh, And the same night, she discovers a woman uh, who was having an affair with her husband. And was getting a shirt embroidered from her with uh, the rose tattoo that he adorns upon his own chest. And it picks up about three years after that accident where she is a widow. She's a homebody. She has some mental health issues stemming from the love of her life being taken away from her in more than one sense at the same time. And she's got an adult daughter now who is on the cusp of marriage age. And she is basically trying to come out of her shell in some way again. Uh, this was really pretty fantastic. This is one I've been meaning to catch for a long time. I love Tennessee Williams, I study his plays in university and in high school. Um, This was one I wanted to see a long time because I think Anna Magnani is one of the most unique actors uh, and so surprising. And I'd known about this film because this is the one that won her an Oscar. This was a play written for her after... Tennessee Williams had seen her in Rome Open City, the Italian neorealist film from Roberto Rossellini, And he wanted to write something for her. He's like, I got to work with you. But she didn't come to do the play because she was worried her English wasn't good enough yet to do it. And then she comes back and when the movie's ready, it's her in the lead role and she wins the freaking Oscar. It is such a magnificent performance from her. And Burt Lancaster, always great. And he plays this kind of like, Italian bum no ne'er-do-well kind of guy who falls for her in an instant and he just can't help but muck it up at every turn when he's <laughs> trying to like woo her and it gets quite tragic at points like it is quite uh it's probably closer to melodrama than it is to uh the neorealism of Anna Magnani's like origins But it's really interesting. It looks absolutely stunning in this black and white. There's some beautiful production design going on. And I believe it is shot on location in Florida. This is a film set in the Keys, set in like the Gulf area. um, And that kind of like Tennessee Williams heat, you know, that sweatiness of it all. Fantastic. There's also a great special feature on here uh, called To Prepare for Discovery and Anna Magnani Rhapsody uh, with filmmaker Rob Nielsen. Highly recommend checking that out. And if you want to know a bit more about her, uh, the YouTube channel Be Kind Rewind has a fantastic video essay on Anna Magnani. And that's kind of what introduced me to her a couple of years ago and what made me really want to seek this film out finally. Um, It's a really interesting little one. Gets a good recommendation from me if you like that classic cinema and you like powerhouse performances
1: dying to see it i'm queuing it up next i'm still pouring my way through this batch because we just haven't had a moment to, to mm-hmm. haven't had a moment to spare to chat and i like you've now just made me devastated uh, tennessee williams plot lines have the best hooks ever mm. you know like yeah. yeah finding out your mistress by doing uh, adorning a shirt with the rose tattoo that your husband there yeah. i'm just like That's such, that's Tennessee Williams all over. It's like the best hook ever. Can't wait to check that out. We might pivot to something more provocative rather than Mm -hmm. sort of Cinderella story. Let's jump over. Let's jump over to Louis Malle's extremely controversial then and maybe more controversial now 1978 film, Pretty
0: Baby. You're asking the wrongest person, the very wrongest person in the world.
3: This is my little girl, Violet.
0: How old are you, Bob?
3: I don't know. Do you like her?
2: She is very pretty.
3: Man who says there's something wrong
1: with you. She's some kind of cream puff or something. But why are you acting this way?
3: I'm gonna make you so happy. Just my kind of man. Maybe I should
1: just show So this is how you would repay me!
2: Blake, I didn't have a chance to catch up with this one, but it sounds absolutely fascinating. I love Louis Mal, and it comes from a story and screenplay by Polly Platt. In 1917, the red light district of New Orleans, the story of the women, the photographer, and the prostitute's daughter. E.J. Belloc is a photographer obsessed with the prostitutes in New Orleans red light district. Violet, a young girl, bewitches Belloc with her curiosity and and naive coquettishness. Blake, what is going on with Pretty Baby?
1: Firstly, a film like Pretty Baby, if you just hear about it or if you've ever heard about it, it is a, you know, it's a, a film that sort of is extremely confronting in, in a contemporary context. You're dealing with... Mm. um. The view of this world through the eyes of innocence of Brooke Shields Violet. And when you're in a highly sexualized world where essentially everything that you look around you is prostitutes and making money from your bodies and those sorts of things, you know, of course, it's going to mean that. That's the profession that she's going to go into. So you see this extremely young actor come in. And I think if you guys immediately are like, oh, this is like, sounds gross, whatever. Mm. There is firstly, I just want to introduce you to a couple of things. One is a documentary feature that is on here and it is Brooke Shields talking about the making of this film. It is absolutely terrific. It is called The, the experience of innocence and it's Brooke Shields talking about pretty baby, her relationship with her mother. Um, and there's an absolutely fascinating talking about Polly Platt, who was the writer or co-writer of this and one of the producers and on set every single day, according to Brooke Shields, and had a lot to say about the performances and everything like that in partnership with Louis Mal, uh, is You Must Remember This, which is mm. uh, Karina Longworth's terrific podcast. She did an entire series on the life of Polly Platt, and there's a terrific mm. episode in that series about it. So I would strongly recommend listening. It's a film that is not probably as bad as its reputation says in that, you know, especially reflective reputation that it's a, you know, just pornographic and it's this young girl that's being exploited by this, you know, European director. And it's very exploitative in her gaze and and everything. She does have agency. She does have innocence and she doesn't realize, I guess, what, you know, the, the behavior that she's doing is not, is not right by contemporary mm. standards, but it certainly was in those days. And uh, you just get to see this incredible vision of New Orleans at this time. And as ugly as it is, all of the behavior and the societal structures and the currency of these women's bodies at any age, it's actually very beautifully shot. It's kind of interesting, but I must admit, while I was watching it, and you can sort of watch it and appreciate it, it, it was disturbing because you're literally seeing a 14 year old girl exploited for sex Mm. and it's not graphic, uh, you know, uh, you know, graphic in terms of graphic pornographic sex, but it's just like this young girl that's being ogled and being admired and being turned into, you know, uh, like derivatively turned into something that can be traded. And, Mm. you know, from the sense of her youth that she just doesn't, she doesn't all she wants to do as an actor, you know, in the, in the great documentary short, Brooke Shields talks about, is like, I want to impress Louis Marl. I just want to impress mm. him all the time. And, you know, this, you know, very contemplative filmmaker is making this movie. And so it becomes this really fascinating look at the way that the world was, the way that it is attempting to change with more sort of puritanical behaviors in America at the time, and the way that she has to interact with the world and become currency. And it has this great sort of mm. slice of life. So really terrific reviewers, um, like Roger Ebert, for example, reviewed it and said, I don't feel like it's pornographic or exploitative. I feel like it's a, it's, it's through the eyes. They're having a very sort of objective view of what life was like at the time and sort of putting it on Mm -hmm. screen and making you engage with it. So in that way, it's extremely provocative. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a tough watch. It's a, you know, despite the fact that it has a glorious and beautiful Susan Sarandon scantily clad many times, um, uh, who has been my crush and continues to be my crush ever since I saw her in Buldoro at a at formative age um it i i couldn't help but see this young girl being used as an instrument to tell this story while whilst not having any kind of context about the implications of her being used in this way so it's mm. it's a really tough one if you're if you're sort of fascinated about these again extremely provocative films that have these mixed legacies and 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 you want to get the context historically there's some terrific stuff on here cat allinger does a, a a documentary on it which is fantastic and uh, there's another daniel kramer uh louis mal uh a video essay on here as well which is great uh but i i would it's the i can't i can't find myself recommending pretty baby. I can't find myself
2: recommending pretty baby. Wow. As a, uh, to, 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 even as a holistic experience
1: uh, may maybe with homework,
2: you know, I feel okay. like
1: I, I, with with the Katrina longworth and 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 knowing that you're gonna get the context. but yeah, it was a it was a tough. it's a it's a tough watch because you just feel like there's a young person being exploited. and uh, you know knowingly or unknowingly, I, I kind of felt pretty uncomfortable with it.
2: wow, interesting. well, Blake, I hate to break it to you. I'm gonna watch it
1: against your wishes. <laughs> I, I, am looking forward to what you think. I'm keen to hear what you say. But yeah, look, it it does certainly have some redemptive moments. And but but yeah, it's and and Violet is an interesting character. But yeah, there's some tough moments in the film. I'm gonna quickly dive into something taking a massive left hand turn.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, but this before- is one from one of my favorite directors. I haven't had a chance to watch it.
1: Yes, so we're going to have a listen to the trailer to I mean if you if you think professional athlete I know you think Nick Nulty in oh, North yes. Dallas 40. But before we get to that trailer let's have a quick break to hear from our sponsors.
2: The star of blue chips it's his <laughs> genre baby
0: if you want to play football for me mr elliott you have to change starting right now B
2: wants me to adjust to sitting on the bench hell i'll die on the bench
0: now if there's some of you who are not interested in being champions why then you laugh Relax, have a good time, but you'll do it on somebody else's football team. There's pieces of me scattered from here to Pittsburgh on these football fields. Now, isn't that giving something back to the game? He's going to Elliott. It is complete. Go, 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 go. Hey, do you girls ever try a quarterback
3: sandwich? Oh, sounds good me. God damn it, Joe Bob, I ain't losing this game. Can I count on you, Phil? Yeah, you know he's kind of.
1: To play. All right. An aging ball player through a woman he meets is drawn away from the masculine, violent world in which he has lived so long. And in doing so finds him at odds with the team's management. This is North Dallas 40. It's directed by the incredible Ted Kotcheff, who a legend he, legend legend who, uh, you know, probably most famously directed first blood um,
2: and, and wake in fright. He's, mm-hmm. Making and and order SVU. He's an executive producer. Blake. <laughs> dun, dun 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 dun. So <laughs> North,
1: North Dallas Forty takes a uh, sort of creates a fictional uh, NFL team, and it sort of really is. And I want to I say this with the the highest compliment possible. North Dallas Forty I found fascinating and kind of like the any given Sunday of its time. It oh, is. Interesting. It's. It's a whole bunch of just insanely overtly like crazy mass toxic masculinity characters all engaging Mm. with one another putting their body on the line at will and it just shows the inherent corruption of a team sport like like the NFL and so you get to sort of watch this through you know Nick Nolte is an aging receiver he's got an aging quarterback they've both Mm. been playing for a long time they both like to bend the rules they both like to do drugs but it's such a it's such a glimpse into the locker rooms of like you know some really tactile stuff of experiencing that life you know it does look a bit silly you can't believe that nick nolte is a professional athlete everyone is mm-hmm. way more pudgy and paunchy than you would expect mm-hmm. them to be um because it's very much you know it's a, it's a 1979 film so you know professional athletes don't look the same way they do in 79 as they do in 22 mm-hmm. but but it's it's a really interesting look at the, this whole life. It's an interesting look at drugs. It's an interesting look at the way that these people engage with each other. And I, I had a great time. It is sweaty and aggressive and has all those beautiful contradictions that an NFL sort of story can tell. And I thought it was done really well. And so I was watching it very engaged, very happy to be there. And I think Nick Nolte is super fun. And I do have to say also, um, has an incredible cast. It's got, like, Mac Davis, Charles Durning. Um, it's got a bunch of, like, uh, a few, like, NFL uh, people that are involved in, in, in the sport at the time that, like, crossed over for Kotchev to do acting. And there's mm. one terrific uh, um, Ted Kotchev, um remembering North Dallas 40 called Hit Me With Those Best Shots. And it's him describing oh, how... yeah. And, like, quoting stuff from his book about, like, how he got details uh, about... Mm the different things. And one of them was that at the beginning of a football game, every guy's so nervous, they need to take a crap. And so he sets one of the scenes before the game in a bathroom where everyone's like lining up at the stalls waiting. He's like, that's how I was making this happen. So look, I, I I really recommend North Dallas 40. If you've never seen it, you're a sports movie fan. I feel like you have Mm -hmm. to see it. And it's, it really gets to the nitty gritty of the brutality and the sacrifice and, and the lack of care that you're just being used by these, these entities to win and they don't care if you can't walk. They don't care if you have a drug addiction, they don't care. As long as you're working within the boundaries of their system and, and, and you're getting them to the victory, that's all that matters. So I really, really enjoyed watching it because I feel like that cynicism of 1970s, like approaching a big sort of corporate entity, like the NFL, even though they have to not say that it's the nfl
2: at any point Mm. um (laughs) uh,
1: is is just a a really wild and uh a really cool uh novelty for a sports movie
2: well this sounds like a recommendation from
1: blake yeah it's a wreck. it's a wreck it's got nick nolte he's smoking weed he's he's hooking up with bonnie bedelia what else do you need folks i can't i can't tell you it's great no really fun i had a good time
2: I can't wait to catch up with this one. We've got one more left, and this is one we've both watched. Yes. Uh, This one had been on my watch list for at least half my freaking life. (laughs) This is the Oscar-winning performance of Jack Lemmon, the star of Save the Tiger.
3: God, you've got a short memory. Have you forgotten? I knew you and your name was Saul. You were running packages and going to a drawing school. Don't but interrupt me. Who paid for that drawing school, Rico? Who took you by the hand, led you across this country? awesome Harry, awesome This is a major felony. You're talking Arson about all the It is the same accommodations. Please, let's not confuse morality with technology. You're not talking to some pyromaniac. I've set 15 major industrial fires across the country in the last three years. When, when I was a kid sitting alone in the room playing the radio, if they ever played the national anthem, I stood up all alone in the room. I stood up at attention. Don't sell me America!
2: Save the Tiger from 1973 and director John G. Avildsen, best known for the director of Rocky. All he wanted was a second chance. Harry Stoner, played by Jack Lemmon, believes there is nothing significant in his life except survival, and that instinct pushes him beyond moral conduct. He'll juggle the books, supply women for clients, and even set fire to his own dress manufacturing factory. He is drawn to an America where life not only had values and heroes, it all seemed worth living and building. Blake... This is Jack Lemmon's Oscar-winning performance. What did you think of him in Save the Tiger?
1: He's so special. Is there mm. anyone that's as good at at being at bearing the weight of the world? Like he can mm. do it as comedic, he can do it with in sort of incensed desperation. He can do it with this, you know, colossal blind spots. He can be wry and aware, like in JFK, where he's a guy who's like, he knows what it's made of. And what I loved about Save the Tiger was the evolution of the character. He feels like a bit of a dope. He feels like someone who's out of touch. And the every second the clock ticks on the timer of this movie, you realize that this is a guy that is completely disillusioned. That is completely all about survival, that has had a completely augmented view of reality and right and wrong, and and is just utterly desperate to survive. And he doesn't care what he has to do to do it. And I think mm. that he's what makes him so special is that you completely empathize with him by the end of the film. You are completely on board. And it's so. It's a really hard thing to do. He's like, you know, people talk about anti-heroes or the Tony Sopranos of the world, these characters who, you know, have really bad morality, but you can't take your eyes off of them. And I I think that Jack Lemmon in Save the Tiger is, he's so spectacular. I mean, just subtly spectacular. I had a great time. I know you have such a relationship um, to the wonderful John G. Al. Uh, Avildsen uh, as a filmmaker because he obviously was the director of Rocky. Um, So I'm really excited to hear what you thought after half of your life, this being
2: on your watch list. Yeah. I thought this was really wonderful. I think it's a great film and it's interesting because John G. Avildsen, we kind of know him, I guess, in popular culture as someone who tells like the underdog tales Yes, And obviously the second part of his career went after with Rocky, then the karate kid that is so what he does. But I think here, this is also an underdog's tale. And I think one of his earlier films, Joe is also an underdog's tale with a much darker heart. It doesn't have like that Frank Capra esque uh, joyfulness around it or that sentimentality. These are kind of like darker in their sentimentality and darker views of America And especially darker views of them, not of the men that have returned from war, but of their perspectives and kind of like the way that America sees them or treats them. And I think that this is one of the most fascinating and interesting looks at that kind of man, like those veterans that have returned uh, and the PTSD that he suffers. I think it's really interesting because it's not even apparent early on like that that's part of this man's psyche or part of this man's life part of who he is it builds really slowly and then the moment of that breaking point where he has a vision of men that have fallen around him it feels so powerful because it feels authentic because it's not just it's not been building in a way that is overwhelming it builds in a way that is slowly coming together to create the portrait of who this man is while also serving like the plot of the film so i found that really quite spectacular i think that this is one well worth watching especially if you are a jack lemon fan if you're an, if you're an imprint collector, you've had a great introduction to him over the last uh, few batches. And John G. Avilson, so many people care about his later work that I, and that I'm guilty of it too, that I don't, haven't really explored earlier stuff, but I thought that this was quite, quite, quite good. It's interesting to see that kind of American new wave style of cinema around Jack Lemon. I found that really interesting.
1: It's so funny because he's a director who successfully navigated the different expressions of like the underdog into the next decade. So he goes Mm. from Rocky into Karate Kids, and Karate Kid movies feel insanely 80s. Like they feel like Mm. they've completely adopted and embraced this American, this new American outlook. And what struck me about Save the Tiger was that, like, He's so deeply critical of this contemporary outlook. Like, you know, he's like people went to war. People fought. People died around us. We sacrificed things like there was a there was a history here, and he's you know, really deeply critical. And I don't think that they cheapened it by kind of excusing what he was. You got to see every decision that he made, and you got to dwell in them with him and with the people around him talking about it and commentating on it and challenging him about it and seeing how he rationalized it for himself and seeing how, you know, he'd, he'd sort of just this sort of capitalist adoption that he'd had. And this like ethos of like, we're just going to, you know, make our money and we're going to make our mark Mm. and we're going to live our you know, our our decadent lives. And he sees himself as a giant contradiction. And I think that the movie does such a brilliant job of just giving him the platform to do that for so long without ever cheapening it. And then once you hit this sort of crescendo of the movie, this vision, as you were talking about, like that just struck me completely. I was like, I, I could just see this guy going down this widening gyre this entire time. And then he gets to this point and that really significantly rams at home. And he's a guy who like, is just so effortless. Like he can be so funny and so charged. And here he's, he's just um you love him but you just can't agree with almost every decision he makes in the movie um it's it's so great i, I yeah i you know you talked about testament being the pick of the batch and uh, i would i would say that you know if there are two must-haves out of this batch for your collection for me it's testament and save the tiger and then mm. you know you know I, I would then sort of heavily lean into you know you your descriptions of rose tattoo and and, and really, for sports fans, not Dallas 40, but really, really terrific. I'm looking forward to catching the rest of the batch, but I was stoked that we made this one of our focal points.
2: Yeah, and I would also encourage people on this disc, there's two special features that I really enjoyed. There is one called Ammo for Shooting Clouds, John G. Avelson Before Rocky, a video essay by film historian Daniel Kramer. Loved that. That was really well-spoken, well beautiful video essay. And... Didn't even know this. Fascinating. There's an interview with the great Lloyd Kaufman, the empresario of Troma films and filmmaker, who was John G. Avilson's dear friend, like a lifelong friend. They met around this time uh, before Save the Tiger, a few, maybe a couple of films before this film. Um, and he worked on a bunch of his films. He, he worked on Rocky. And I think it was such a freaking great interview such a i'll to check that out i didn't even
1: see that i can't wait interesting i
2: said i saw in the back lloyd kaufman huh (laughs) What? i gotta watch this yeah it's a great interview lloyd kaufman's a very cool guy
1: guys thank you so much for listening to another imprint companion we're gonna have not one not two but probably three episodes to cover the absolute ridiculous november batch that's coming up. alexi and i are insanely proud because if you are getting the neo-noir box set you are going to be seeing Mm -hmm. not just the spoken word not just the nattering on in a commentary but the written Mm -hmm. words of one young man alexi toliopoulos and another slightly older man like howard (laughs) on a couple of the films in there lex
2: yeah, it's so exciting. It's our first essays in a physical media package. It's a dream come true, uh, truly, honestly. Truly, I, I'm truly.
1: I I I got to write about the wave of the gun and mm-hmm. Nark, and Lex got to write about Infernal Affairs, and we are both like freaking out so yeah internal
2: affairs is literally a movie i've been interested in since i was a teenager so it's like feels like a real full circle moment for me um it's a huge batch city of god is also in this batch ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains a punk classic i believe one of the earliest films of ray winston's career diane lane's career and laura dern's career it is one of my favorites so we're going to do bunch of episodes on how many freaking awesome things are coming out in this batch
1: and don't forget it's a batch that has the after dark neo-noir collection so the, those mm-hmm. films are blue steel internal affairs crimson rivers the way of the gun the yards james gray our guy the narc as well then it jumps over when you when you go into directed by roland Joffy. so we have the killing oh my bill, god the mission Oh my little god! Joy, Fat Man, a little boy, and then Prisoners of Our Own Country, which is a new feature-length doco on there as well from two thousand and two. So that is freaking epic. Oh my god! School Ties. Oh my god! And I'm like I'm freaking out. And Distant Thunder with John Lithgow. Cannot wait. Huge, massive. We have so much watching to do. We're going to do so much talking for you coming mm-hmm. up. Cannot wait, Lex. Uh, where can people find you in between now and the next time that we imprint Companion?
2: I would say hit me up on Letterboxd. I'm at This Is Alexi on there. And there's a three films in this batch we didn't get to talk about. I will probably be catching up with them, and I log everything on my Letterboxd. I always write a little sentence or two, minimum. So if you don't follow me on there, you're missing out on more bonus imprint <laughs> shit. But also, I watch a lot, a lot, a lot of movies. So he does. You'll, you'll find we, out about a lot of stuff we, we, from we, doing it.
1: <laughs> uh, guys, if... You want to also, you can check me out one Blake minute on letterbox. I'm not as good at writing my notes on there because sometimes I get commissioned to write some stuff elsewhere. So Mm -hmm. I don't, but I would just say everything at one heat minute productions that is coming up is insane. We have some incredible Miami nice episodes that are going to be coming up. Uh, we we've got some more collateral confessions before the year's out, but. From the beginning of December, the heat two book club starts six episodes six parts of the heat two novel unpacked from a glorious list of participants and right now as we speak i am pulling together the episodes for our next really in-depth audio documentary which is podcaster and commander that series features John Colley, the writer of Master and Commander. It features Academy Award winner Pete Ramsey. It features April Wolfe, a filmmaker and great podcaster in her own right. It features one of the best Mm -hmm. film critics in the world and my friend Walter Chaw. It also features the great Lee Zachariah, Australian movie writing and podcasting royalty. And it also features the one and only interview from Peter Weir ever to be on a podcast and one of his last interviews ever in the last decade. On the show, it is very brief, but I'm looking forward to pulling that together. So, if you've loved our shows like Josie and the Podcats, if you've loved One Thief Minute, if you've loved Zodiac Chronicle, this mm-hmm. is going to be for you, and uh, that is going to take us all the way through January. So, looking forward to getting that out there finally. And uh, in the worlds of Russell Crowe, where is he? As he often says on Twitter, not in the show. <laughs>
2: well Blake I can't wait to listen to it I'm going to re-watch Master and Commander maybe this afternoon now that we've tied off some of these imprint films always a pleasure never a chore and good golly grief it's far from a bore talking to you Blake <laughs> I can't beat that run and
3: I just for the sight of you baby what good does it do I've been consulted by Franklin D. Trezor Garbo has had me to tea. Still, I'm broken hearted. I can get started with I'm Ethan Warren, I'm the author of the book The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, coming April 2023 from Columbia University Press, and I'm here to invite you down to Hot Tracks Nightclub, onto the schooner Golden Fang, into the house of Woodcock and Fat Bernie's Pinball Palace, because coming next spring from One Heat Minute Productions, it's Pod Thomas Anderson.
0: I have a love in my life that makes me stronger than anything you can imagine.
2: I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy. Starting now, you're not to blink. If you blink, we go back to the start. I cannot begin my day with a confrontation.
3: This is faith that brought us together. This is faith. Throughout this nine-episode audio documentary series, you'll be hearing from me with some excerpts from my book, plus excerpts from my conversations with some fascinating guest voices, including film critics. My name is Ty Burr. I'm
1: Cassidy Olsen. My name is Ella Kemp
3: actors, comedians, and podcasters. My name is Paul Russ. Hey, I'm John Gabris. I am Joe Pera. And so much more. We'll have an episode on each of your PTA favorites. That's right, we're talking Hard Eight. It's almost impossible to imagine the PTA of this century making anything that looks like this. We're talking Boogie Nights.
0: Fuck, it's about family and how you don't find family via birth.
3: We're talking Magnolia. I went into the theater, one person, I came out of the theater, a different person and a different moviegoer. We're talking Punch Drunk Love. Kind of like a sweet romance story, but the anger that is underneath is so funny. We're talking There Will Be Blood. And you're not prepared for how good it is and how cool it is and how amazing it looks. We're talking The Master. There are so many interpretations you could bring to this movie, it's that dense, it's that ambitious. We're talking inherent vice. It's this layer and layer and layer of both indecipherable corruption, but then also like that corruption can be funny. We're talking phantom thread.
0: Rarely has it been the case where I have felt that I was in masterful hands from the very first shot.
3: And we're wrapping it all up with a slice of licorice pizza.
0: How do you take the statements of your youth and then how does that fundamentally stay the same, but also kind of soften or change?
3: So subscribe to One Heat Minute Productions now on your podcasting app of choice. Next spring, you'll be getting all nine weekly episodes right there. And in the meantime, if you pre-order the cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha today, wherever you get your books, then you'll be a star, a big, bright, shining star.